0: Welcome to episode 7 of my podcast, I Stand Strong. This is uh, Teddy, once again, coming at you from the Bear Cave in the concrete jungle of the beautiful Northwest. And I guess I'll start today by saying thank you for listening. Um, Okay, so... Last week I covered comics that people should... that I feel people should read if they are not a comic reader but really want to... Get into it, um, but today I'm gonna go a little different because I think I'm gonna go back to my love of movies. But uh, I'm gonna go to kind of like one of the lesser liked parts of of Hollywood. Sometimes, well, any movie, uh, movie movement, I guess, in the in, in, you know, like Hollywood, outside of Hollywood, anywhere, um, and that's the. Excessive use of remakes. Um I mean let, let, let's face it, you know, Hollywood is well, Hollywood specifically is really known for overdoing the the remake, especially when, you know, you you can see these lulls in in where they they choose to they, they figure they have nothing new so they just oh we'll go to this this thing that that did really well the last time it came out. You know, I mean, how many times has uh a Star Is Born been remade? I mean, the first one had Judy Garland in it, and it's been remade, I think, three times since then. But um and, and I'm I'm gonna make make it clear I'm not gonna, you know, include like uh adaptations, because I think that's differently. You know, I mean I'm not gonna talk about, you know, like yeah, Batman's been redone so many times it's crazy, but I don't really see that as a remake as much as it's, uh, like I said, it's, it's just more of uh, somebody else's adaptation of that character. Um, yeah, so I'm going to focus more on, like I said, the 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 need to have to remake a movie because they don't have any new ideas, I guess, which is to me is bullshit. There's always new ideas out there that, but there's just a lot of them that these studios won't give a chance to. But anyways, that's a completely different subject. So, um, I think I'm going to start in my, my favorite, my favorite spot. And that's kind of just go to why does Hollywood tend to tend to like to do remakes? I mean, what's the appeal there? Is it just the money grab that I feel it is, or is it, or is there something else there? Is it just, you know, it's it's easier to do a remake because you don't have to do, redo a, you don't have as much of a script to write, or, I I, I don't know. I mean, you know, it's, I mean, especially nowadays, we're, we're seeing, you know, seeing a de- I guess we're not seeing too many of them right now, but there was, there was a big movement there for a while where, I mean, you know. God, we had, you know, remakes of everything. I mean, there's and the, I don't know, it, it's kind of a tough one to, to, cause to me, like I said, I feel it's just a money grab. They don't have the they don't have any new ideas they want to take a risk on. So they take something from their backlog and be like, hey, we'll just throw this at some director, sometimes a good director, sometimes it's a director just looking for their start. And they, you know, they remake a movie, you know, with minimal changes really for the most part. Um, But then you, do, I mean, but I, I won't say I think all remakes are bad because I do think there are some legitimately decent remakes. And I can't think of any off the top of my head. Maybe I'll think of some towards the end, but there are probably remakes out there that are better than the originals. Actually, just thought of the perfect one John Carpenter's The Thing. It's, you know, it's kind of a remake of The Thing from the 1950s which, you know, was adapted from a book, yeah. But, you know, the thing the thing from the fifties was a very different thing. It was a very different movie, but I feel the the John Carpenter's the thing is 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 the superior movie out of the two. But probably because I feel it speaks more to the paranoia level where I think the fifties one, maybe at the time it did, to me it just kind of feels like this 50s horror movie you know it it has the it has that 50s camp feel to it um but but yeah so uh i guess like you know i guess i'll go to like you know some of my favorite movies that have been remade and have just you know essentially ripped my soul out to some extent and that would be going with like all the big slashers from the 80s i mean first episode i made it very clear I love me some '80s horror movies. I love horror movies in general, but there are some really great slashers, especially Freddy, Michael, and uh, Jason. Hell, I'll put Leatherface in there. But why? I I I really lost faith in in a lot of a lot of movie making when they went to was it around 2000 nine you had the three i think you had the two big ones which were they did they tried to reboot Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th but then what was it probably around the same time was actually Rob Zombie's Halloween but like in 2002 or 2003 you had the remake of Texas Chainsaw Massacre and I'll get into like individual feelings on those ones but of all those remakes I think Two of them did okay. Um, like I I kinda liked the the Rob Zombie's take on Halloween because I don't feel he was trying to make the same movie. I figured he was trying to take, like, almost take the the story that was told in John Carpenter's 1979 classic, and he just decided, you know what. I can't, I'm not going to try to remake and just try to recapture the same thing. So I'm going to go from a different angle and I'm going to show you who was Michael before he became this entity that was just pure evil in some people's eyes. And yeah, it does, you know, humanizing Michael Myers, it could hurt it, I guess. But to me... I kind of like, you know, I kind of liked the fact that he took it to a different direction. I know and I know I'm in a, I'm in a minority there. There's a lot of people who do not like Rob Zombie any of Rob Zombie's movies, but specifically the two Halloweens. Now, I will not try to defend the second Halloween he did. That movie was an abortion of film to me. I just feel it didn't, Eh, that's going harsh. It wasn't for me. I'll put it that way. It just I I felt he dropped the ball with that one. But his take on michael being you know this kid from a broken home with a horrible stepfather but there is something a little off and you gotta wonder is it was it always there or is it a product of where you know the nature versus nurture argument was he did he become what he became because of his upbringing or was that always going to happen because they kinda hint both ways. I mean, yeah, he's in this really fucked up, you know, household. But then they make it pretty clear he's been torturing animals. So but they never really declare which one happened first. Um So yeah, I, I, I like Rob Zombie's Halloween. I don't think it's a perfect movie. I don't think it's anywhere as great as the original. Um but I think it does it does something different that makes it unique and at least rewatchable. Um I really wish he would have taken a little more from from John Carpenter's playbook and dialed back the the need for the gore because to me you can do way more while leaving stuff up to the imagination than you can showing everything. Um i mean if you if you look at the the seventy nine version of the John carpenter's version of Halloween, there's not a whole lot of just all out blood in it. I mean, yeah, you have violence, but a lot of it's not shown it's more implied, which almost makes it worse, which you know that could go into um that can lead into my my take on the Texas chainsaw mask or re redo in um two thousand three, which I think they got a great cast for. I mean, Arlie Ermy play just loves chewing the screen in that one. Is the the father slash sheriff? Um, I feel Jessica Biel puts on a pretty good. I feel like everybody in that cast put on a decent performance at least. But the big difference between the two, other than they gave a little more to Leatherface in that one, you know, building the whole thing of you know he had a flesh eating virus or whatever. Or some disease, so his, his face was deformed or whatever, and they they tried to give him things, but they really dialed back on that, which was probably for the better. But then, I really feel the big thing that hurt that two thousand three one though was once again they leaned into it and just put so much gore on screen instead of letting it just be up to the imagination. I mean, if you watch the original, original. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you have a lady get thrown up on a butcher hook, but you never see the butcher hook into her skin. You just see him hoist her up and you know what's happening. You never see it. Other than like the last 20, 30 minutes of that movie where you have, you know, the, the scene around the table and it's just completely gross. You really don't see a whole lot of nasty, nasty stuff. I mean, most of it's just really implied... Letting your mind fill in the the gaps in there, and that makes it so much more disturbing. Um, and I've rewatched I rewatched the Texas Chainsaw Massacre because uh, me and a couple buddies have a, a a group where you know we've only done so far only done the one movie, but we get together, try to get together once a month and watch a horror movie together, and um, it was. One of my buddies picks and he wanted, so we drew it a hat and ended up being Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake. So we got together and watched it and I enjoyed it more the second time I saw it. than I, did. I remember when I first saw it, I'm like, yeah, this is, this is bad. You know, this, this shouldn't have been made, but then, you know, this time around, like I could appreciate the little things they did different. You know, there were little things they did that, you know, really kind of built it up. Like, I like the fact that they built up a little more relationship between the people in the, the van, because I really feel the, the original one from the 70s, they really didn't give you much of a build to the relationships. It's been a while since I've seen it, because that one did kind of disturb me a little bit, but, um, so maybe I'm wrong there, but it seemed like they really played up the relationships better. In this one, and then like I said, Arlie Ermey, uh, maybe I'm just a sucker for Arlie Ermy, but he, he chewed the scenes on that one and he really played this just piece of shit, <laughs> horrible person, you know, who just happens to be the head of this family that is a bunch of horrible people, I guess. Um, so yeah, there, you know, and then, then we get to the ones that really break my heart. Um, I'll go Friday the 13th first because that one, I had less stock in that one to me. Um, because I've, I'm always more of a nightmare on Elm Street than a Friday the 13th. I have the first eight Friday the 13th, so don't get me wrong. And I love them, but Freddie, I think Freddie having character being a talking killer in this series made him a little bit more appealing to me but I'll get to that um with that remake of that they did the remake they did of Friday the 13th there was a lot of stuff that just made no sense in that movie um you know them going all the way back to you know like in the the opening segment he's like hanging around a pot farm for some reason, you know, so what, Jason's selling weed on the side. I, I, I was confused by a lot of the little things they did in that movie on top of the fact that it just, it just didn't, it just didn't appear, you know, it just didn't play good to me. I mean, it, it just was this it seemed very watered down and paint by numbers to some aspects. Because I mean, of course, you know, when you get to the main group of kids, you have every token character you could need, which they don't even make that fun. I mean, you give me a good, you know, a good throwback to an eighty slasher flick, and you make the characters like you know, like very much your your you know your stereotypes i mean cabin in the woods was great because it took those things and at least it leaned into it this one it's like they have them but they try to they don't really do anything with them to me i mean you have the the male jock douchebag you have the the total slut you have the you know you have your two stoners i don't think they really had the nerd but i mean maybe you could look at the the main girl is the the nerd um i don't remember the actress that played her now but and then you have this whole story with jared padalecki being the the brother of a character that was in the first group that was attacked by jason in the like the opening section but why did he keep her why did he take her hostage i mean there was no explanation there but i didn't need one cuz it shouldn't have happened. Jason is a a force of nature. He's there to kill. Why does he have this chick? You know, why did he just capture this chick and put her, you know, chain her in this intricate cavern underneath Camp Crystal Lake? Um but if i was okay, i'll give it i'll give it one thing i didn't mind. I didn't mind the fact that they did give a little bit of time to the, you know, the death of his mother, you know, it's showing where he was and like how he watched his mom get killed. That was kind of okay. I didn't mind that. You know, they, they hinted at that and like, you know, Friday the 13th part two where, you know, she's making a con about what if Jason really is out there and, you know, he witnessed his mother be beheaded. You know, what would that do to him? Um, but at the same time, you know, it was such a small thing they threw in there. It felt like an afterthought. And, you know, I, 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 it's not lost on me that both this one and the Nightmare on Elm Street remake. And I actually, I want to say maybe the 2003 Texas Chainsaw were all done by, um, oh God, Michael Bay's production company, which to me is is a, a kiss of death when it comes to horror movies anymore because they just I just don't think they know what I don't think they know what they're doing with them. Um so yeah to me the Friday the 13th remake just a train wreck. Um it, it took what could have been really fun and really you know just a throwback and did nothing great with it. I mean, you had some decent kills and that is kind of what Jason is about. So I guess I can give it that, but it just didn't feel, it didn't feel like it had the heart that the old one, I mean, hell, even the worst of the original Friday the 13th series, at least had some heart to them to me. Um, God, and now it comes to my, the, the one that hurts me the hardest, a nightmare on Elm street. The movie was bad. Um, Horribly paced, you know, completely front-loaded with kills. It did some decent stuff. Like I think, you know, I, I try to find a shining a shining moment in everything. And I think in this one to me, it was I liked the way Jackie Earl Haley took the character of Freddy, but I also knew he had an uphill battle. There was no way he was gonna take that character and not be compared to Robert England. Robert England is always going to be Freddy, no matter who you put in that makeup. They are always going to be compared to Robert England, and there's nobody going to be able to do it better. He is he is Freddy Krueger, but I feel that he did his best with an uphill battle, and I think he was the part that really kind of made that movie somewhat decent, like even somewhat watchable to me. And I've rewatched a couple of these. You know, more recently, like, you know, The Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th, I found them both on, I think it was, like, HBO Max, and I turned them on just just out of curiosity to see if they'd play better to me, and neither of them really did. But mm-hmm. I really think that Jackie Earl Haley did a decent job as far as playing a different Freddy. But at the same time, he, he did it with a horrible script. Um... I think what kills me the most with it was, you know, it, it did, you know, it went, definitely went into the fact that, you know, something that the, the original movies just kind of implied. And that's the fact that he was a full on child molester, not just a child killer. Um, and that, that made it a little darker, but I also think that kind of, to me, that somewhat hurt it. But I think what really hurt them to me was how much they put like all the deaths, in the first, like, it seemed like in the first 35, 45 minutes. And the last 45 minutes then becomes just nothing but them, you know, doing doing all this exposition as, was Freddy a good person? You know, was he falsely accused and killed for no reason by the families? And I don't know, it just kind of it felt really badly paced because of that. You know, it's like you get all the good stuff out of the way and now you're just going to sit here and watch them almost do a a mystery where they're trying to figure out if Freddie was, you know, was like, uh, was falsely accused. And you had some good actors playing like the parents, which is another thing that kind of sucks. I mean, like I I love me some Tom Clancy, I think he's a great actor. He, I think he does a good job with whatever you put him in. Um, and then, um, Oh God, I might be wrong on her name, but I think it was Connie Britton played Nancy's mother. And I thought, I thought she did a decent job, but they were still missing. Once again, it was missing that heart. It was missing what made that great to me. Um, I guess with that, that kind of wraps up, you know, I I don't want to harp on how bad those, you know, how, how, how bad I feel. One, I can't really put the words into it to some extent, but, um, but then, you know, another, another aspect of the remake, I'll go to this one and it does kind of fit in with horror and that's the, what, early 2000s, we had the movement of, Hey, look, this, this horror this ghost movie did really well in Japan or, you know, another Asian country. Let's, let's remake it. Amer- let's Americanize it and remake it. You know, the ring, the grudge, dark water pulse, one Miss call the eye. All these were movies that were made in the East and they did well. And they were then translated and Americanized. And the few that I've seen of the original, like, you know, Japanese version or J horrors, what they they came to call it. You know that real atmospheric thing. They did the Americanization of them hurt those movies. Like I like Naomi Watts, and the first time I saw The Ring, it worked for me. But after seeing the original version from Japan, that movie was bad. It did not capture what that movie could be, and. I was inspired to go back and watch the Japanese one because I, um, I recently found another podcast that any horror fans out there, it's a great one called evolution of horror. And right now I'm in the middle of like, uh, they do blocks based on certain versions of ho- certain genres of horror and they're doing ghost movies. And they were talking about specifically, uh, ring and Jew the grudge. Um, and it had been a while since I've seen either the, 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 the ring or just ring, which is the, the Japanese version. And I went back and watched ring and there were so many nuanced little things in ring that I felt the ring kind of dropped. Um, you know, you have one, they, they made uh, I cannot remember the name of the character, the 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 little girl in in the Japanese version. She had a, a name I can't I can't remember, but she was Samara in the the American version. Um, they did way too much build on who Samara was and trying to do this whole thing of you know you get all the tapes of her doing her psychiatric help or whatever it was, you know, doing counseling sessions or whatever. And it it just came off weird where the original one leaned really heavily into just this little girl is evil and the, the video was way creepier. Um, Yeah, it just, you know, it's just, it just, they lost something. I, I've never, okay, I've never seen The Grudge. I've never seen the Sarah Michelle Gellar version of The Grudge. I remember seeing part of a Ju-On, so I really can't speak to that one 100%. Um, but from what I gather, basically the American version just took the, the grudge just took one story that happens in the Japanese movie and turned it into a full movie. Um, but then you have, uh, I remember another one that really worked for me. The one that worked for me though was Dark Water, and I've seen both versions and I really liked the Jennifer Connelly remake of that one. But that one was one of the few ones where I feel that they, they really kind of kept the atmosphere of a J horror movie in that one. Um, On top of the fact, it's just a compelling story. I mean, this mother just trying to survive. She moves to this really crappy apartment building because it's all she has. It's all she can afford to, you know, take care of her daughter and her daughter, but being in this place also puts her daughter in a really great school. But her daughter has this friend that she keep like this imaginary friend she keeps talking about, and there's all this leaking coming from the apartment upstairs, but nobody lives in the apartment upstairs. Um so I mean it kind of gets it, it builds a lot better than like I felt the ring really did compared to what what the the Japanese counterpart did. Um, you know, it's, and I mean, it's, I, I know people who, who really like the the Americanized versions. They weren't for me and I get that, but I really feel remakes in general are lazy, but you know, whatever. Um, so yeah, you know, and that's, that kind of speak, but if you think about that kind of speaks to the, the American thing of, you know, it's like, Hey, instead of trying to find our own thing. We're like, oh, look, this is working over here. Let's take this and we'll just completely westernize it and then put it out and we'll make our money off the same movie. Why not just get a production company that, you know, buys the American rights to put it out in America, you know, buys the rights to put it out in America and do it that way instead of making a remake of it. I would have much rather seen, and, and I'm not afraid of subtitles though either, so That's something that, um, that's something that I, I won't complain about. It's like, I don't mind watching the sub reading subtitles to get a good movie. Um, hell, uh, Pan's Labyrinth and the Devil's Backbone are two, two beautiful movies and completely subtitled. Uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon was the first movie I watched that was legitimately hundred percent subtitled and i although I do not own it because that movie is just kick you in the balls sad by the end of it. That movie is beautiful. Um, but you almost don't need the subtitles at points in that one. You can like the, the movie itself is telling the story where, so you can miss certain sentences or something sometimes and still know what you're watching. um, and I lost my train of thought by going to that, but eh, that's the, that's the charm of me talking sometimes. Um, but yeah, uh, oh, that's where it's going. I was just talking about all the, the Americanized or the Westernized, maybe is a better word for it, remakes of Japanese horror movies. Um, and I'll admit, I haven't seen a lot of the ones that they've done. Like I've never seen one missed call. That one always sounded boring to me. Um, I didn't see the eye. Uh, I currently, you know, through Tubi, I have uh, Pulse uh, queued up to watch at some point in time. But then again, it's got Kristen Bell. So, you know, even if it's a bad movie, at least I get a look at Kristen Bell for 90 minutes. Um, But I, I think I'll start moving away from the horror movie remakes now because, I mean, that's that's just my my genre, so that's what I know the most about. But um, you know, I'll, I'll go to like one I mentioned at the beginning. You know, "A Star Is Born." Um, I want to say there's been the original, like I said, was Judy Garland. I want to say there's three since then. I know I can think of two really easily, and that's one in the '70s with Barbara Streisand and Chris Christofferson, which I've seen and I saw it a long time ago. And I remember it being decent, but I might have been too young to understand exactly what was going on in that movie. I don't remember. Um, And then, of course, more recently, um, when I was still with my wife, uh, she and a friend from work went and saw the one with Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper. And, of course, when it came out on Blu-ray, she wanted it, so we bought it. And she turned it on, and I watched it with her. And it was a good movie. I, I, I liked it. Um, I really feel that the the sad per or the, the, the true victim of that movie is Bradley Cooper's character. And I, I'm probably one of the few people who feels that way because I think, you know, he's this man who's just trying, you know, he's. He is always true to who he is. And I really fe- don't feel the same about Lady Gaga's character in that one. I really feel, you know, she becomes big. All of a sudden, she becomes this pop star when before she was this almost like, you know, outlaw country start almost. I mean, if you look at like, you know, the the first couple songs she does, they're not really poppy. And then all of a sudden, she's doing this pop bullshit, which I get it. Lady Gaga, that's her style. And I can recognize her, uh, her abilities. But at the same time, it's like, you know, she's doing this and he's almost trying to just kind of keep her grounded to what she was. I mean, yeah, he's he's very much an alcoholic. And that's always going to chew through. That's always going to be something that, you know, just destroys him from the inside. But even once he gets clean, you know, she's... she's always seems so blind, almost willfully blind at points to what he's, like, or what, how everybody else is treating him. I mean, you know, specifically her, like, her tour manager, whoever it is that basically tells Bradley Cooper that, you know, he's going to drag her down and blah, blah, blah. And she sees this kind of stuff going on, and she does nothing about it. She kind of just lets it happen, and then she's surprised when he hangs himself. Sorry, spoiler warning. Um, But, yeah, um... But, you know, so there, there's that one, and I am um, I am a sucker for the remake of Total Recall. I mean, don't get me wrong, I love Paul Verhoeven is great. I mean, RoboCop, Total Recall, uh, Starship Troopers, all of his movies have these great, kind of like, almost like social, com- not social commentaries, but they have kind of a commentary hidden in the background of all of them. But, um... I kind of felt like the one they did with Colin Farrell and Brian Cranston I really kind of feel that one did did good by taking what what it could from the book and playing with it because I mean down to the matter of it I mean Philip K Dick wrote do or uh was it we buy your we Buy Your Dreams Wholesale, I think, is what the name of Total Recall was in book. Lord knows, I can't remember it off the top of my head, because he always had some weird name books. I mean, hell, he was the person who wrote Blade Runner, and it was originally titled Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Um, but, yeah, with the Total Recall remake, I feel that it, I mean, it dropped the camp that Paul Verhoeven brought. It... Kind of went with a different take on the society. But it still kind of had messages of, you know, like class system almost in there. And I really think it did. it. I thought I thought it did a fine job at taking a property. And I've never read the book, but the Philip K. Dick story. So I don't know how much they took from either movie took from that. But I don't know. I f- I feel that like the to- the remake of Total Recall actually did decent. It wasn't horrible. I mean, it wasn't brilliant. And I will always lean more towards the Arnold Schwarzenegger, Paul Verhoeven one, just because it it does have that camp factor. Um, but yeah, I, I liked the I liked the remake. Um, what was the? other, I just had another one on the tip of my tongue and I lost it. There's another one that came out around the same time that really, I thought, did decent with it. Uh, Oh, no, never mind. That was, the speaking of Paul Verhoeven, RoboCop. They did the remake of RoboCop. That's what it was. This one I'm a little more torn on. Once again, you got Jack Errol Haley, which I'm a sucker for Jack Errol Haley as well. I think he's a good actor, especially when you give him a villain role. You give him a villain, he just... He just looks it. I mean, he he looks like a Weasley guy, so he plays a really good villain. Um, and I've also kind of like I've also kind of always liked Joel Kinnaman, so I think from that aspect, you know, they did it. But at the same time, you do lose that that campy Paul Verhoeven feel. But with this one, I feel it it did work at points and it didn't work at others. I mean. In the original one, you have, you know, like, as the memories start kind of, like, coming back to, uh, Murphy. Murphy? Yeah, Murphy. You know, in the original one, he starts becoming almost obsessed with trying to get his life, or not really trying to get his life back, but... You know, he becomes obsessed with trying to understand why he keeps seeing this this woman in his his mind... Where in the new one, it's like, it's almost more of a, you know, he's very much still Murphy in the the inside, even though they don't want him to be. And I want to say by the end of the remake, it's been, I think I saw it when it first came out, but I want to say they did actually have him back with his wife and kid when, when that movie wrapped up, which was weird. But at the same time, I kind of liked the fact that it did its own thing. Um, and maybe that's the, maybe that's the, the, the goal there to me is like, if you can take a movie and keep certain aspects to make it recognizable, but you can do your own thing and give your own spin on it. As long as you don't hurt the core subject matter, it works. Um, but there's the problems. I think a lot of people lose that core subject matter because they get a little too carried away with what they want, what they want to do, and their vision of it. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. Once again, I said this isn't a remake, it, but you know, I mean, it's the same as you know the Batman movies. Every time they redo them, I mean, how often now have we seen? a Batman movie, but they, everyone has their own distinct take. taken. I mean, in the eighties, Tim Burton Batmans, you had, you know, you had a Joker that was, you know, you got the backstory to the Joker, which I kind of liked, you know, but then again, it's Jack Nicholson. So why wouldn't you? But, um, but you also get to, you know, you have a, a little more of a, a subtle haunting, haunted back you know or what's the word for it uh bruce wayne is a little more subtle with the haunt you know the haunted you know how haunted he is by the death of his family where with christopher nolan i mean they pretty much come out and make bruce like practically just like that's the only thing that they really want to talk about in that first movie to some extent is like how you know he feels responsible for his parents getting killed that night and I get it, but you know, subtlety plays goes a long way. Um, but anyways, you know, so I mean, it's that—that's the core. Of it. you're doing a remake, you know, you got to put your own spin on it, but just keep the core subject matter and at least be smart about it. Um, Cause yeah, I could go for—I I just realized I was about to go on a tangent all about the Batman, the Dark Knight movies, which would have just gone way too long. Um, that'll be another subject maybe someday. Um yeah, I'm, you know it's like I'm like you know, I cuz I'll go to the, you know, you got remakes that like I still haven't watched the remake of the stand. Um I have Paramount Plus, keep meaning to watch it. Just haven't gotten around to it. I mean, I loved the 94 mini series and that is a remake and from everything I've heard they kind of do a good job with this new one, but it almost seems like they're trying to extend it out more than one mini series, which I think is a problem because, I mean, with The Stand, it was a, a finite story. I really don't think that's something that I'd try to extend out too much. I mean, it is a thick book, so they could probably play with it more. But, I mean, if you think about it, the original one, God, the original one was, like, essentially, like, four two-hour movies. So, what, an eight-hour movie? done over four nights where this new one they did 10 one-hour episodes so it's a 10-hour miniseries somewhat but from everything I've heard like I said it's it's extended out and they almost want to make another season of it and I don't really know what I think of that I mean I'll wait till I actually watch it to say anything um but I'll keep you know, with Stephen King I remember God, it had to have been late, maybe it was mid-90s, but I want to say it was late 90s, early 2000s, they did the remake of The Shining as a miniseries. And I freely admit I'm probably in the minority here, but I actually thought the miniseries did a better job telling The Shining story than Stanley Kubrick's 1980 classic. And i don't wrong, I love the 1980 movie, I just don't think it's the same story um, having read The Shining, it it totally changed it. I mean, I, and I really like the fact that, you know, Stephen King, I think Stephen King nailed it nailed it best with, you know, if you look at the two different adaptations of it, it's, um, one of them is, you know, Stanley Kubrick's is this very cold movie. I mean, hell, it literally ends with Jack Torrance freezing in the snow. Where the mini series, which follows more of the book, you know, you get a little bit of a redemption out of Jack Torrance's character as he makes sure his wife and kid get out of the hotel before he allows it to burn. Basically, knowing that this this hotel is will always be this. Um, kind of this like you know this haunted you know this place where this evil dwells and needs to be stopped and so they they very heavily lean towards the fact that he intentionally almost doesn't take care of the boiler properly and allows it to over overheat and catch fire um so you have this very hot and cold and like don't get it wrong like i love the stanley kubrick movie it's It's brilliant in its build. It's brilliant with the performances. But if it wasn't called The Shining to me, it would be way better. Because it just doesn't feel like the same story. Where the the miniseries, they hit on a lot more of the the facts of the story. to the, The book itself to make it into what it should have been. Um... So yeah, I mean and I realize I'm probably rambling here and just doing essentially a bunch of movie reviews, but hell, it's my podcast. I'm allowed to do what I want. Um if you don't like it, don't listen. It's that easy. Um so yeah, I'm probably gonna wrap it here because I'm I'm running on fumes at the moment on thinking about how to how to keep going with this one. So I will just say my thank yous once again to spider for my artwork and then instead of just giving names i'm just going to put it out there thank you to everyone who's been uh a supporter of me and helping me get my motivation and uh really my uh my guts up to do this because i mean this is this is a big thing for me um so yeah thank you to all of them and Thank you for listening, if you're still listening. Um, because you know, you're you know, you're 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 taking in my product, which I, I gladly think. Um and to that I will say, you know, if you want to get a hold of me with uh thoughts on my feelings on remakes, maybe you liked some of these remakes that I really thought were bad. Maybe you have a different perspective that Will help me see something better in them. I don't know. So if you have any co- comments, questions, maybe you have a topic you'd like to, you know, like to hear discussed, you know, maybe you just want to write in and tell me, hey, you suck. Whatever. Um, you can reach me at my email at standstrongcast at gmail.com and oh and then before i go just one little uh what kind of asterisks i put uh, i need to put out there um on my last episode i missaid some things about some comics with preacher i was talking about a character that is like basically the the person uh, persona of death like basically death incarnate in the book preacher And I called him the Angel of Death. The Angel of Death is one name they do refer to him briefly as, but he's most notably known as the Saint of Killers. So there, I fixed that. I might actually get emails about that, about how badly I uh, messed that name up. And I have it coming. Um, The other small mistake I made was I said that... I said the wrong name for the artist on Why the Last Man... I said RM Guerra, who is a totally different artist. It was Pia Guerra, um, which I think on my show notes, I did fix that, but still, um, I said it wrong on the podcast. So I'm going to just come out and say, I did, I was wrong on that one and fix it here. Um, RM Guerra did scalps, did do scalps, uh, artwork and i think that's where i made the mistake was i think i just saw the name gara and it just rm gara popped in my head first um but with that i am going to say have a great one and i will talk to you on the next episode